You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What is up, Goat Flippers? I am your host, Lurk. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast, the number one hardcore and metal-related podcast on all of the internet. On this week's episode, I sit down with Aaron Polly from the California metalcore band Of Mice and Men. Aaron is the longtime bass player who now handles the vocal duties for the band. The group recently left Rise Records and earlier this year signed to Sharptone, as well as released a few EPs over the last couple months. On this episode, we talk with Aaron about releasing music going forward, as well as if there is any more of Mice and Men music coming out later this year. We touch on the band's live streaming of the recording process, as well as our partnership with Twitch, the band's new metal influences, as well as what it was like to tour with those kinds of bands like Linkin Park, and the profound impact of meeting the late Chester Bennington. You get all that and more and then some on this episode of The Van Flip. Whether this is your first time checking out the show or you're a return listener, if you enjoy the content we're doing here on The Van Flip, please take the time out of your day to go ahead and follow or like us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. And if you have a couple extra seconds and you want to leave a rating and review, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Don't forget to visit lambgoat.com for everything hardcore and metal related. Follow Lambgoat on social media. Give us a like on Facebook and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Lambgoat. Head over to the Lambgoat YouTube page and you can find all of these podcasts in video format plus other Lambgoat bonus content. While you're there, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the alert bell so you're always notified when new episodes or content is uploaded. And if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lurk. City. That's L-U-R-K-C-I-T-Y. And if you're too lazy to go search for all that stuff, we have everything already linked in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out and follow us and the band. Now with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and roll on into the episode. Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is good stuff. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome back to the Van Flip Podcast. Or if it's your first time, I always say welcome back. But if it's your first time checking us out, hey, welcome to the Van Flip Podcast. This week, I am joined with Aaron Pauly, bassist and clean vocalist, or backup vocalist, if you want to call it, for the band Of Mice and Man. Men. Of Mice and Men. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, you guys have been kind of like busy in the last couple months, um, you know, through the pandemic, obviously. You kind of did some recordings here or there. You released uh, two EPs recently this year, uh, Timeless and Bloom, correct? Yes, sir. And um, the question I got most about when I asked like fans of you know the band of your band and obviously the website, uh, what I should ask you, most questions were: Are these two EPs a part of a bigger project, or is there a record coming, or are they just standalone EPs that you guys just worked on 
uh, during this whole COVID time. Yeah, so they're part of a, they're part of a trilogy of EPs that will come together to form an album. Okay, and is that something that you will release as a full length album as well, or do you um, have you released EPs like as far as like uh, you know digital media? I'm not not digital physical media. Yeah, so we do have physical versions. Um, there's you know there's like delay on vinyl everywhere. Right, right, right. So of course. <laughs> those are shipping out. Uh, I think in a couple months, but or the first one, Timeless is already shipped out. But I think Bloom is shipping in a couple months. Um, the third EP will be released as an EP, and then there will actually be a full, um, like a full LP release of all three EPs that culminate in the album. Um, I don't know the exact order of what's going to come out first. It might be that the album comes first, and then the EP comes separate. Um, as far as, um, you know, physical media, right? but I think it, it will all be released as an album. That's interesting. What, what was the idea behind, uh, releasing them in small chunks like that? And then, and then also what made you decide to want to actually, uh, release a full project together with it? Um, so basically, you know, for us, it was something that we wanted to do even before we released our last album. Um, so it's something that we've been talking about doing since 2017-ish, 2018-ish. Um, you know, I think for us as creatives, it's there's something more refreshing about being able to tell a story or share a piece of work that is more relevant to you at the time that it's it's happening. You know, if, if some sort of major life event um, inspires you to create something, you can sort of get that into the world while it's still... Um, fresh to you, you know, you're, you're sharing more relevant information. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like super esoteric and cliche to say that music is the universal language, but like language is for dialogue. It's for communicating. Right, right. Um, and you're just communicating with more relevant information, I think. Um, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool experience. You don't necessarily have to spend, um, six months to a year collecting songs and then go into a studio for a month and then spend, a few more months after that, working on artwork and music videos and everything just to have it put out, you know, essentially two years after the information is relevant to you. So it, it creates kind of a different experience, I think, between artist and fan. Yeah. And um, it seems kind of like in the back half of your discography, you guys have been kind of steady releasing, you know, either an album every year or every two years. Um, so it does kind of make sense that you guys, you know, worked through the pandemic, obviously, but it also uh, it also is cool that you guys have done something kind of like that where you split up you know the the pieces of the album over a course of time. That way, also fans can enjoy it at different times and whatnot. But you also stay more relevant, which is something that I kind of <clears throat> I've talked about on this podcast before. But also, you know, I feel like band type music is like one of the only genres of music that doesn't do something similar to this. You know, like you have hip hop artists or DJ EDM type artists, they always release kind of like either singles or EPs and rarely do some of these artists even release full length. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to see, uh, you know, these genres kind of catch up to that and make it, it, to me, it seems like it makes the band or the artist more relevant over the course of a period of time, like a year, because like you said, there is a lot of downtime, especially when you're writing or recording. And then obviously the mixing, mastering, artwork, and all that stuff, like you, you were explaining, it takes a, a long period of time to get that finished product out. So 
do you find it's like less stressful doing it this way? Or do you approach it as like we already recorded everything in one fell swoop and now we're just kind of divvying it out release wise? Um, no. So with this, we actually worked on it and released it. So I think we worked on the first EP, finished it, turned it in. And then I think we had, we were just finishing up the second EP when the first one came out. So it's, it's, it's something that we've been working on. Um, you know, we recently like partnered with uh, the website Twitch yep, for live yep, streaming. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring uh, that up next. And right we, there. yeah. So like we, you know, we, we work on music over zoom, which is why I have all these like awesome automated backgrounds and whatnot. And so between, you know, it's, it, there's very minimal sort of lag, um, it's definitely gotten better over the last year. I think <laughs> Zoom was was kind of horrendous at the start of. Uh, yeah, something tells me their stock their stock price kind of rose up a little bit over the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully, hopefully they they reinvested some of that into the tech, but it seems to be working better. But like, you know, you can remotely control each other's computers and do stuff. So it's you know, we thought. Uh, why not just broadcast this? Just take the Zoom call and put the Zoom call on Twitch. You know, because this is how we work anyway. So. Um, it, you know, doing that ended up being kind of cool too, because you sort of get to, you sort of have a different and newly calibrated barometer of like, what's exciting. Um, and not just personally exciting to you as you're hearing new ideas going like, oh, wow, this could be a really cool song or this could be a really cool part, but you're also getting sort of the, the fan perspective, which I think over time and the more myopic you get in your projects the more you sort of lose sight of that so to be able to sort of have that panel um that you can just read oh yeah that's cool or what if you did this what if you inverted it just like you know sometimes it's sometimes you just ignore it and sometimes it validates you know something you're thinking too but it's just sort of cool to have that that extra um input line of communication yeah Yeah. it's almost like so you know it's almost like a tool it's almost like like having an extra um like input monitor you know yeah. and um i was gonna ask if that's something that you kind of because i when i was told about your partnership and how you kind of you know did the recording and whatnot it was kind of um a question i had was like well is the audio like you know because some bands might not want to share the audio of that mm-hmm. going on because obviously you know uh it does leave to not spoilers but you know people will already kind of know what they're getting the oh yeah, yeah. Is. so they definitely peek behind the curtain <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool um, like they get the behind the scenes you know whole method that of, uh, obviously it's not the traditional method of you guys recording because yeah and, and again you may you may also uh write over zoom for the pre you know for previous albums i don't really necessarily know how you guys got together and did that but um it's cool that you shared that experience with your fan base and i'm sure uh you know you amassed a few other fans, especially being on the platform Twitch and whatnot. So how did you guys even team up with Twitch? Was that something that you guys have started doing or was that like something that you guys were in talking with Twitch to, like as a partnership or how'd that work? Yeah. So, so we had initially like created a channel. Um, all of us like had our own individual channels and we would stream like video games or music or whatever. Um, yeah. And then we actually, you know, we, we, we secured a meeting with, um, you know, the Twitch's musical department and whatnot. And they were talking about how they want to do expand and whatnot. So, um, yeah. And just figuring out ways of, you know, connecting with fans, connecting with people. Music is a lot of people's sort of, um, lifelines. If you can sort of, you know, since we aren't 
in the live entertainment realm right now, you can still entertain people, you know, with, with your music. So I think if, if, um, and it's cool to see sort of the, the different, uh, community, you know, and like you said, it is kind of like a wizard of Oz sort of like looking at the man behind the curtain. I think though, it, it is only kind of a certain, um, like sub demographic of our fan base that, that even really cares, you know, a lot of people just want to like listen to it, mm-hmm. you know? So not everybody wants to know exactly how it's made, but I think people who do want to know how it's made, um, this is kind of how we work, you know, it's not necessarily on zoom. It's the exact same process that we would do, but we would all be in the same room together, Yeah. but we're still working off of one person's computer. We're still inputting. It's still, Hey, actually, let me get on here for a second and take control of the mouse and move something around, you know? So it's, we're still doing it very much the same way that we would do pre-production in the studio. But when the pandemic happened, we, you know, all the studios closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd done like production work and mixing and mastering work in the past. So we just kind of talked about it. We talked about it with the label and we were like, Hey, if we just do our, you know, typical pre-production the way that we do it, um, and our demos sounded great. You know, they always sounded really good because we put a lot of work into it. And we're like, if we take it that step further and actually like record this thing, like an album, like we would do an album, um, would we be allowed to? And the label was like, hell yeah, sure. Here you go. Nice. Here's the keys. And, and that's kind of a, that's sort of a refreshing thing too, because it's, you know, it allowed us more, it allows, it allowed us sort of like to rely on music as like, a lifeline, you know, there are times where you're thinking, or at least for me, you know, I don't know when I'm going to play another show again. I know when shows are scheduled, I don't know (laughs) like what the world will look like when that happens. Uh, there's a lot of nights at like two or 3 AM where you're like, damn, isn't existing strange. (laughs) And, And it's nice to be able to have the ability to sit down at your own computer and work on what you know is going to be like, the way that you're going to feed yourself. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like a weirdly digital hunter gatherer situation again, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, for sure, it's for an sure. interesting psychological place to be, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of cool. It's just, it's a new thing that exists that people are using and technology, man. And even the older I get to the, the less it works, you know, <laughs> I used to be a teenage kid and like everything worked all or, the time. Or the, or ex- the less you understand how it works because you're not as young and you don't fiddle or take the information as easy as you used to. You know what I mean? Man, it's my, one of my hobbies is like PC gaming and like parts and like overclocking and undervolting and just nerd shit. And I can't get zoom audio to work sometimes. Like, <laughs> no, I get it. It's frustrating. I'm messed with core clocks on a CPU, but like, audio in an app no dude my boomer brain's not like wired for that yeah do you think uh because do you like writing that way where it's zoom zoom based or would you rather be in the room together with the guys like what's easier for you all is it being in the comfort of your own homes or is it being dedicated in a room to where you know you have a set goal and like it's not as easy to walk away from the computer um I have my preference, I think, of I like to be in a room with people because I like to laugh and there's always just kind of extra bonus stuff. Yeah, you can poke people. You know what I mean? Like people are there within like 
reach um, in your physical environment. I think, however, what I get out of it, like the intrinsic reward is the same thing, which is like why it's awesome that we can do this because I was worried that it wasn't going to be. There's always like sort of, you know, you get together with your dudes and you make an album and you're hanging out and you're farting and eating burritos. And like, there's like a lot of shared life experience when you're doing the same thing with people in the same location. Um, But I think for me, what I realized in doing this is that what I live for, live for, (laughs) I don't live for that. (laughs) What I really enjoy (laughs) in music making is doing something and trying to mess with something. And while I'm messing with something, I hear somebody else messing with something. And just for an instant, there's some little like hint of magic. Like, Whoa, what was that? Yeah. Wait, do that, do that thing again. And I'll do this thing again. And you still, you can get those moments. That for me is like part of the reason I've never done like solo music or anything like that. Cause to me, it's, it's fun. I like writing songs by myself, but like, I don't have those magical moments in my brain where I'm working on two different parts and one goes, Oh yeah. There's not that like, Whoa, like, yeah, it's definitely magical for sure. Like, you know, the spark. Yeah. It's it's sort of like if you're working on a painting with like you and another painter and you're going to paint this, you're going to paint this picture of a mountain. Right. So you're starting with all the greens and your homie's just like, Oh, here's a cyan boom, right in the middle of the mountain. You're like, Whoa. Yeah that's cool. We can make the mountain orange. And I never thought of that because yeah, yeah, I was yeah. thinking mountains are green. You know, I, it, you, I think for me, it's all, it's all about that. Even, even if songs never like end up coming out, it's just about those little moments, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why live music is so powerful is because like people get to experience those, you know? Yeah, for sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, so do you guys think this is kind of like the future of kind of like what bands like, when shows do start rolling around and everything is a little bit more back to the way things used to be, I'm not going to say normal because obviously it's probably going to be a little different. Uh, but do you foresee like bands still continuing doing these kinds of other interactive, you know, ventures with their fan base as far as like live streaming or more, you, you know, more in um, sharing more stuff, whether it's like the behind the scenes looks on Twitch or, you know, Instagram live or YouTube or whatever. Do you see that for going uh, as we keep going into the future or do you think that will kind of fall off? Um, no, I definitely think as technology becomes more accessible, that it's, that's sort of the route that we're, we're all going to go. Um, live music is always going to have its place because live entertainment, I think is irreplaceable. Yeah. But I think as you have different outlets, like for me, I don't really see this as like a replacement as much as I see it as like, it's, it's, it's just a different um, mode of communicating. You know, it's a different mode of interaction. I think it's hard to say though. You never really know with anything, I guess, you know, um, I remember being in high school, like when YouTube first came out, I think it was like 2005 or 2006. I was, I was literally I'm, thinking about that the other day. I might've, I might've been like a sophomore. And I remember thinking like, Hmm, I wonder if this is going to be around in a few years. You know what I mean? Because at yeah. the time you, you just don't know. I remember thinking MySpace. I remember thinking MySpace was going to be its own country at one point. You know what I mean? And like, who knows? It could have been. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, 
everything eventually goes the way of the Buffalo and it just works that way. And you just don't really know how long it's going to take, you know, Mm -hmm. some civilizations were in power for thousands (laughs) of years and they're gone. Everything goes, everything goes. So there's an ebb and flow. It's it's hard to say when, and I think the older I get, the less I try, (laughs) the less, the more I'm just like, I used to think I was like swimming in the river and now I realize I'm just kind of on a tube and like <laughs> the less I actually put my hands and feet in the water to try and change my direction, the easier the flow. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I do think, you know, I think that bands did adapt. I, I, and again, I think they were behind the curve on that. Again, uh, there were a lot of other things that were incorporating, you know, the live stream aspect and whatnot. And I feel like a lot of bands, not just in our, you know, little wheelhouse genres here, like, you know, metalcore, metal, and hardcore. I think bands in general kind of strayed away from that because I feel like they thought the performance live aspect was very, very key to their success, which it is, obviously. But my next question would be, do you think that these live streams, whether they're performance, like performance-based live streams or like the streams you guys had recording your album and or just interacting with fans whether it's you solo playing twitch games or or whatever however you're streaming interacting with fans do you think that will take away or that does take away from the live show or do you think that will kind of just accompany it um no i don't think it takes away from the live show i think if anything it's just a um it's just a tool for a fan to get more understanding about where the art they like comes from i don't think it's 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 not meant to replace it. You know, one of the reasons why we never did like a live stream of us playing was because we all were in the agreement that like, it doesn't do the same thing. Of course, yeah. It won't do the same thing for us playing it. And it won't do the same thing for the fans. Cause I think it's just, like I said, I think that part is just irreplaceable, but I think it's sort of, um, it's sort of a way of understanding the way that things are made and it sort of catches up to real time. I mean, you know, I used to love getting albums back in the day that had enhanced, you know, this enhanced CD, put this in your CD drive and you're like, oh, wow. And you can watch videos of the bands in the studio. It's they didn't have Twitch or YouTube or I'm sure they would be doing it in the moment, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think it's it's it literally live streaming and all of that is just a byproduct of technology and information being able to get to you like that, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's not so much that it's um, there to replace. It's just, it's the sort of same information. It just gets you instantaneously, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we're dating ourselves. I think we should explain what an enhanced CD was. Cause I'm sure a lot of kids that are, Oh yeah. Like, I don't even understand. They're like CD <laughs> CDs nuts. You used to put a CD in the computer <laughs> and the computer would recognize it and play like some QuickTime videos or some other kind of backend. Uh, it would yeah. be like an app or something like that on the, on the CD. So it was kind of cool. It yeah. Wasn't kids, your granddad's or... computer, you know, the one that has the uh, ejectable cup holder. When you push the button at the top, mm-hmm. you used to put, discs in there that look like blu-rays but they had way less shit on them <laughs> way smaller space to way smaller space half the time if you tried to put an enhanced cd in your car it wouldn't work yeah it just was a bummer sometimes man wouldn't work yeah also the computer would make these foul noises when you had to connect to the internet it wasn't always connected you know so no so um, you guys are kind of one of the most successful kind of metalcore bands out there. You guys have had like a lot of success over the years, uh, more so uh, or 
you really hit gold with the Restoring Force album a year, years and years ago. I think that charted like top five or top ten. Am I not right? Or am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like it was number. I'm looking at it. Number four during Grammy week. Yeah, I mean that's big. Which time. which is funny because the name the names that we're on the list with like <laughs> we shouldn't be on that list. Yeah, so what? Not say Casting Crowns, Bruno Mars, Imagine Dragons, Katy Perry, Daft Punk, Macklemore. Yeah, it's Kids crazy. Bop, it's, it's, Casey it's Musgraves, crazy. Eminem, Miley Cyrus, Drake, Bastille. That was that was everybody that came behind us. Yeah, and then Lord and. You know, dude, honestly, we would have been top three. And this is like one of my least favorite animated movies, I think, of all time. You know, the reason why we weren't in the top three is because the Frozen soundtrack was number one for like ever. Yeah. Well, you have to sometimes, you know, let that go. So um, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad at it now because now I, it, it's funny, too, because now I look at it and it's like things change and times change. And like your fan base, it goes from being like young teenage kids that are active on social media to like growing up, going to college, you know, mm-hmm. having kids and they're not on the internet all the time. And you're not getting sort of the same level of engagement and it's really, f- or, or same type of engagement, you know? And it's really funny that you say that because there's a lot of times where it, it doesn't feel like we are one of the most successful bands. It just feels like, I've been home for a year. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I want to yeah, play a show again. And but I mean, you're, you know, you at least on the Spotify side, I don't necessarily have the numbers for your EP uh, statistics on Apple or anything or other streaming sites. But, you know, on Spotify, think like what? Timeless has over 10 million streams collectively. And then, yeah, it's wild. And then Bloom. And we made it and we made it in our living rooms. Yeah. I mixed and mastered that before I got like my new computer i mixed and mastered that on a 2012 macbook pro <laughs> wow anything is possible kids yeah, man. so what do, you, what do you think some of the success of those like i mean of the band was in the earlier days uh because obviously social media like you were saying wasn't as prevalent as it is as it is today but you guys did find success among like those top names that you just kind of you know rambled off like what do you think because you were a part of the band around that time as well so like what do you think get you know built into that uh i think right place right time i think collectively young people really liked the genre um warp tour the scene um it was its own sort of time and place it's funny now to think back that that was like sort of 10 years ago but Think back in the 2000s, you know, in the year 2000, what did the year 1990 mean to you? Like what, you know, what was the scene like in the 90s? You know, like it's funny to go back into that, but it's, you know, there was a scene and young, young people, young teenage kids in a mainstream, you know, uh, a mainstream sized conglomerate all decided that they liked Warp Tour and they liked Hot Topic and they liked these bands and they cared about what we were doing and they wanted to see videos of us doing God knows what playing mini golf or do, you know, like it's honestly, it's time and place. It's um, yeah. It's, and it's funny to look back on 10 years, you know, and, and to say like, I did think it was a lot of time and place. I think the, the music resonated with people, the lyrics resonated with people. Um, we used to work our asses off too. Like we, we would tour like 300 days out of the year. Oh, yeah, I, remember, I think, I, remember. I think the most we did was like 297 days in 365. Like it's a lot of touring. Like, yeah. you know, I think, 
And that's all over the world, not just in the United States. Yeah, but it's all, it's honestly, it's all just a testament to the fans. It's the fans decided that at that time and place that our band and that music would be important to them. Yeah. You know, there's nothing I think we do on our side besides just make the music. Right. It's the people who are going to decide whether or not it's important enough to be successful or to be a a top album or, Mm -hmm. you know, in the genre. Um. And I think as an artist, the more you sort of realize that and the less you think about that, the more your art will actually resonate. Because as soon as you start thinking about like art as cause and effect, like you're just going to, you're not going to get the effect. (laughs) It's not, it's not archery. You're not like shooting targets, you know? Do you think, I mean, like outside of your fan base that you guys had or had have um, around that time frame, do you think like charting like that? was a positive or a negative for someone who didn't really know of mice and men as a band? Like, cause usually stereotypically you don't necessarily see a metal metalcore band, you know, with that kind of success uh, on the charts, unless they're like, you know, like Metallica or some other kind of like ungodly large band at the time though, you guys were relatively like not in the beginning, but you were fairly new as well. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you've only been around a handful of years and such, but like for someone else who wasn't a, like didn't know of mice and men, do you think like that person was either drawn or pushed away by that, that kind of charting success? Um, it depends. I think in heavy music, there's like a weird, I've used this word twice, sub demographic of like, like gatekeepers that won't like something that a lot of other people like, Mm -hmm. which to me has never really made that much sense. Cause like if I go to a restaurant and people are in mass numbers saying that they really like this item, I've never been like, Oh, well then it's probably shitty. Like, I don't know. So that's (laughs) never made sense to me. It's It's like, it's probably good. I probably want to try that thing too. It doesn't mean that my opinion needs to be their opinion because it's their opinion, but a lot of people aren't wrong, you know? I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. But opinions are, it's all uh, subjective anyway, right? They're like buttholes. Everyone's got one, man. Yeah, dude. And everyone wants to show you theirs and talk about it. Like, it's like, oh, man, I don't... Keep it to yourself, man. We don't need to see... Yeah, you know? Um, I didn't ask. (laughs) So, up until about Earth and Sky, your last full-length release, you guys were working with... um, Rise, you you guys have been signed to Rise, uh, I think from mm-hmm. the, from the first release on, um, but the last two EPs, and I'm assuming the full length is going to come out on Sharp Tone as well. Correct. What kind of led to uh, you know just leaving Rise and joining Sharp Tone? Like, what was the cause and effect of that? Um, the band had signed a deal. We had then renegotiated and signed another deal. Um, and then that deal had just concluded when Earth and Sky was released. Um, and so, you know, Rise are good friends of ours and we love them still. Um, we just felt like it was time creatively to try something else. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really happy we did because I love making albums and working with Sharp Tone. It's yeah, definitely sort of a more. Um, kind of hands-on, I guess, uh, approach. I don't know. feels more boutique, I suppose. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, they definitely have done a lot of work in the last couple of years uh, to kind of like submit themselves even further into the heavier metalcore scene um, because, again, they have been releasing, you know, really good albums in the last handful of years. So 
it, it's it's kind of cool. And and no offense to Rise, but obviously Rise, I feel like does a little bit more outside of heavy music too. They they do dabble in other genres a little bit. So you know, it also may be beneficial as a heavy band to be on a label that kind of focuses more so on heavy music too. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, for us, when we were taking meetings, Sharp Tone was a big name on our minds because we love so many of the the young bands that are coming out on that label. Yeah. Um, and if there is sort of anything that we can give back to a scene that gave a lot to us, um, we felt like it would be cool to be on a label with a bunch of bands like that to where if, if we could bring any sort of visibility at all, not that they need it, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I don't want this to come off like that, but if you could go on tours with other band or with double. Yeah. A hundred percent to be, to be, to be a part of that ecosystem, you know, to say like, Hey, if we can bring some, some, some eyes and ears to these other bands that are going to be on this label and they're bands that we like, you know, like, we listen to a lot of the bands that are on the label anyway, just as fans. What, so, are some, what are some of those bands, not to interrupt you, but you know, my next question was like, what bands attracted you to Sharp Tone? Um, Loathe, Love Loathe. Of course. Um, great record, great dudes. Um, Caskets is actually a band that I'm really excited about their, their record coming out. Um, fuck, so many. <laughs> I need to have like another cup of coffee, dude. I'm like, well, not only that, I put you on the spot. An esoteric, so. <laughs> an esoteric brain land, but no, um, yeah, because I'm I'm gonna say one that's not sharp tone, and I'm gonna be like, fuck. like I'm gonna yeah. realize it, you know, well, it's all ten good. minutes even, later. Even newer, newing, new and up and coming bands obviously are all always uh, a bonus too, because it's the scene just growing and the scene just replicating itself over and over again. So it is good to see the growth, obviously. Well, and it's exciting. It's exciting to hear sort of an evolution of something not that you created but contributed to. Right. I think our music, it has a flavor that is distinctly not super modern because it's not super modern. We've been doing it for 10 years, you know. Um, but I don't want to say old, yeah, but, but you know what I mean? Like, Like there's there's we're not at the cutting edge of what the genre is doing you know what i mean because that's never that's never really been where we've existed we just like writing songs that that make us feel something and that we can bang our heads to and like we're not really trying to push boundaries outside of our own boundaries you know what i mean like we're not genre bending really or anything like Mm -hmm. that but there are tons of new bands that are doing that um and it's cool. You know, I think you, you only really have your first and second albums once and twice. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? True. So, yeah, that's true. so beyond that, you sort of carve out a lane, you know? I get that. Yeah, I understand that completely. Um, we just kind of had like a, not a anniversary, I guess you call it anniversary, but Chester, you know, of Lincoln Park and uh, he, his death anniversary kind of just recently happened here. And you guys... Mm-hmm. Um, you guys did a couple things with uh, Lincoln Park, a couple tours and shared oh, yeah. stages and stuff like that. Uh, like, were you guys, I don't want to say close, you know, with Chester or anything like that, but like, how how was your interaction with the band in general? Like, and how did it affect your band? Not the death of Chester, obviously, just like your, um, you know, your relationship with them. Oh, dude, Chester was my dude. 
you know, one of my big regrets was there were a handful of times he invited me over to hang out and I just couldn't make it because, mm, <laughs> because there's always next time. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was honestly somebody that like, if I needed big bro in regards to like something music related or touring related or like, dude, my fucking throat hurts. And like, I have to play a few gigs, like give me a sort of, you know, he was like, he was that guy and he made himself accessible enough to be that guy. Um, yeah, he was just like, he, he made time for people. He made time for people in the, in the venues, arena staff, when we would be in Germany and there's a little kid who's like got the gig working, you know, security checking people's laminates. Yeah. And he's like, oh my God, that's Chester from Lincoln Park. And Chester would make it a point to like, you know, I think he understood that he could bring happiness to people and not necessarily have to do a lot, which yeah. I think is one of the biggest gifts that like people caring about something you do can, can reward you with is the ability to like make somebody's day and not have to try that hard. Yeah. You know, just by giving somebody your time, like, I think it's, it's, it's important. I think, um, social media and things like that, they, they convolute it now because people can just as easily be anonymously shitty as being anonymously yeah. kind. Um, and people will always choose to do that for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, no, Chester was awesome. I think about him often, you know, one of the, one of the last day, it was actually the last, uh, after the last show of the hunting party tour, when we were in, uh, in England, he actually gave me a Marley Bluetooth speaker, just like a wooden Bluetooth speaker randomly. We were like, it was the end of tour party. We were at like his hotel room with like all of the bands and everyone was just talking about their favorite shows and it's really awesome. And then as we were walking out, Cause he was like, he was, he would always random, like just randomly do random things. And he would just say, he said, Hey, AP, before you go, do you want a Bluetooth speaker? <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to fly home tomorrow. My suitcase is already full. And I was like, absolutely. Cause I'm not going to say no. Like <laughs> he's like, yeah, I bought this to like, try it out. I'm a jam. It sounds really good. And I still have it. So every time we like make it. new songs, I listen to mixes on it. That's cool. Um, were yeah, you, were you kind of like shocked as you? Because obviously, like you had personal experiences with with Chester and, and whatnot, and most of the people in the entire industry, if not world, do not have those experiences and don't know him on a personal level. Not saying I don't want to like preface it and say that you were like tight brothers or whatnot, and you could be. I just don't want to give that a you know that implication no, out there without that. But um, were you kind of shocked when you heard the news and stuff like that of of his passing? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm shocked anytime I hear about it or anytime I hear about anybody passing unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had just seen them not, I feel like, too terribly long before that. Um, yeah, I remember we were all together, me, Phil, and Tino. We were working on, we were actually working on the song Warzone from Defy. And that was a song that I was going to, text Chester and ask him to sing on because it was a really aggressive song mm. uh, and just never got around to that um, but yeah that was a really really heavy day um, 
Yeah, I guess people in the older generation, you know, they say, you know, people our age remember where you were when JFK passed. It's like, I don't really have a lot of like super vivid memories about lots of things, um, but I can like vividly remember that. Mm, we were in my living room. I remember like what the lighting was like. It's very strange, but yeah, it's just one of those things like very heavy. Um, yeah, we weren't like best friends or brothers or nothing, but it was like, he would randomly text me and I I could, I know I could text him about something and he would hit me back. I mean, that alone is a more of a relationship than like, I'm, I'm assuming 98% of the world had. So, you know, you, you were someone close enough to do that at least. And I know it probably affected you in, in ways, but outside of his death and, and Chester in general, how did like rubbing elbows with bands like that, you know, how does that affect the group in general? Like, does it affect your, your goals? Does it affect your writing? Like your, your writing, uh, you know, like what input does those big, huge bands give to a band like of mice and men? You know, I would say as much as you open yourself up to, and that's maybe not necessarily true for every big band or for anything like that. In my personal experiences, um, Touring with a band like Linkin Park, you can learn as much as you will open yourself up to learning about and as much as you're willing to ask about things. Um, I learned so much from Mike Shinoda about like song structuring and about the way he thinks about adding melodic layers and the way that, you know, every, you know, eight beats to 16 beats of a song something needs to be new and introduced to your ear. Something needs to keep the song moving. Something needs to be foundational. Like, and then, you know, learning about things on the back end. you know, talking to them about, Hey, how much, how much are you paying your agents? How much are you doing this? What does your record deal look yeah, like? Business. You know, things like that. Um, yeah. um, you know, when we actually started the tour, they allowed us and, and the tour that we did with them was, was, us and Lincoln Park playing arenas an hour and a half after doors to full arenas. Yeah. And they said, you can use um, a third of our lighting. And I believe it was like 60% of our, um, or a third of our video and 60% of our lighting. And we were like, holy shit. Like what it's are we going to be production with that? Yeah. We played a show. And after the first couple shows, um, I can't, I think, I think it might've been Mike was like, do you guys have spotters, you know, like spotlights? And we're like, no, we don't. Cause they cost money. You have to like pay for that. <laughs> Somebody has to sit up there and do that. Like, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, all right. And then literally they gave us more of their lighting rig and had spotters and covered it, you know, that's cool. Just because they wanted our show to look good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's part of their to thing, that. too, you know. It, it, sure, it would, but they don't have to do that. No, of course not. Nothing that we did would impact their show negatively. We wouldn't have even had to have been there, and every ticket would have been sold. <laughs> that could also be true. It, I wouldn't it, say every it ticket. Is, but, it is. Yeah. Oh, it, it, oh, and it was, man. It was It was something to see. There was, there was, there was a lot of days where we would play, and I would just go out and watch, like, the first half of the show. And then I'm like, oh, shit, they're starting the medley. Like, I have to sing this part. And then I'd, ha I'd like go rush back and put my in-ears in and then, 
you know, they invited they invited me to sing with them on stage. Oh, yeah. And then years and then years later invited me to do um, the same song with them at like Rock and Rio. That's crazy. Not on the same tour, but just like, hey, you remember we used to do the song? You want to come up and do the song? Like, it's just it's so cool. It got to a point where like it felt like <clears throat> experiencing my friends' bands. Yeah. And your friends' bands are, at least for me, my friends' bands were always my favorite bands. Like, it's just something about it, you know? And, like, to sort of have that experience of, like, not only was the music, like, super uh, important and, like, transformational to me as in my youth, but, like, then as an adult to be able to thank them for, like, steering certain parts of my career or certain parts of my songwriting in right directions. And at the same time... um, I will say that probably not none of that would have happened if like we wouldn't have like made it known that we wanted to learn, you know, yeah, to course. make it, and not only that, but to make it known that like we we enjoyed being there. Yeah, well, you could we, also we, have been that band. We knew, that we, we knew everybody. <clears throat> we knew everybody on their like technical crew and like the people that would like build the stages and stuff. Yeah, because they would be in loading in, and we would be there, you know. And the band doesn't like fly in till later or whatnot, and we would just be there hanging. So. Yeah. Um, and you yeah, don't have to, and you don't have to open yourself. Like you said, you don't have to open yourself up to any of that stuff too. Like you no. guys, you guys could have been like the metalcore band thing and like, ugh, we're, we're playing with this new metal, you know, giant new metal radio band. And, you know, it's two separate things, you know what I mean? But, you know, you guys embraced it and obviously it, it was for the betterment of your, not only career, but your band and your process and stuff too. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I couldn't imagine It'd be like if you were into sports, right? And you love playing soccer and you're like, yeah, I get to go play with Cristiano Ronaldo, but like, I'm kind of just more of the street soccer. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to just kind of just, you know, do my own thing over here. It's like, you could like learn something from this guy. Yeah, for sure. Even something as small as like, hey, when you kick it, try, you know, putting your foot a little more like this. Like little things can drastically like, impact you and impact your life you just sort of have to open yourself up to it so i'm assuming lincoln park was one of those bands back in the early 2000s you were jamming uh as much i mean myself also uh was i was one of those individuals um i think the only time i actually ever saw them was at like oh one Ozfest in tampa or whatnot but what were some other like early influences that you know got you into wanting to do music especially heavy music at that uh, what, probably the biggest for me, um, uh, is Papa Roach. Cause I grew up in Vacaville, which is the city that Papa Roach is from. It's a town of about, I want to say now it's, a, it's, it's probably a little shy of a hundred thousand. Um, at the time it was like a town of maybe like 60, 50, 60 mm-hmm. smallish town. Um, and yeah, I was a young kid who was just getting into playing guitar and the local band from my hometown that would play the shows next to the skate park um, wrote a song that everybody in the world knew. And still knows, man. And still knows. knows. (laughs) And it was one of those things that like people in our town knew that song already. Well, people that went to shows, you know what I mean? People that were, part of that scene. And I was just a little kid. Like I was going to the skate park and went to like a couple. Um, But to see that and to just be like, wow, like 
I used to be really fascinated with history, right? Right. To me, that was sort of like the equivalent of having your name on the inside of the pyramids as like, you were here at this point in time and you did this. And and, and now people know about the town and people know about the experiences and, and, oh, the feeling that you get from being um, in a place where you're not mentally stable, that's actually something that millions of other people can relate to. Like that song did a lot for it did a lot for my tiny little brain, like thinking about things, connecting the dots, you know, like what does this mean in the grand scheme of like what you can do with Mm -hmm. your existence? Like it's, I don't know. Yeah. I had somewhat, somewhat of a similar experience. I wasn't playing music at the time. I was more wanting to be like a front man, I guess you could say, but my hometown uh, band was Limp Bizkit and they obviously like shot into the stratosphere after faith and all that stuff. So it was kind of a crazy similar experience, you know, and, uh, God, the, the, you know, um, cut my life into pieces, whatever, whatever the song is. I do last resort, baby. Yeah, last resort, whatever, uh, that thing. God, I remember that thing catching wildfire and it was just all over the place. And, you know, I, I definitely really loved that album. I can't say I really followed the band much after that. Um, cause shortly after being in a new metal for a handful of years, I kind of found like glass jaw and hate breed. And then oh, yeah. I just fell down the rabbit hole of like hardcore metalcore metal. But, um, yeah, those experiences, like, you know, being into your local scene, like I even, I even got to live it all over again when I got into hardcore and evergreen terrace became like, you know, a, a, a name that everyone else outside of Jacksonville knew. So it's, it's really cool to see that. And, um, it's really cool that, you know, Kids should know that that can happen to anybody at any time. You know what I mean? Like any band, either you're in a band or you're a fan of a band or you're a band, you're watching a band in your hometown. Anything can happen. And the next thing you know, you're a part of that, that movement. You're on the, you know, like you're, like you said, you're on the pyramid inside the pyramid. You are a part of the, you know, you're etched in stone as a part of that scene and whatnot. And um, those, those memories and stuff like that, you can take with you forever. And again, like I try to explain like what it was like seeing Evergreen Terrace in like a hole in the wall in like the first album and like the entire city, I, it feels like show up. And oh, it, yeah. it's as hot as hot as hell in there. And it's just crazy. And you're just Homies kids. spray painting t-shirts out in the back with a stencil that you can <laughs> yeah. buy for five bucks. Dude. Yeah. I missed those shows. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's crazy how, you know, it goes from that to like where you're sitting now, you know, like where you're doing, you've done arena tours and it's all the same thing for the most all part. Emails. Every yeah. job is emails. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that? Like there, there isn't, there aren't different jobs. There is one job and it's emails. It's yeah. just emails about different things. I mean, that's all it takes. It's, it's the same thing, dude. That's how it's I like, got. That's how I got you on the podcast. That's how I got everybody else on the podcast. That's how I got the podcast. Yeah. There's taxes. There's like a whole business side to it. Yeah. You know, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, um, it seemed like artists, you know, were putting the majority focus of importance on the art into the live show. In the reality, it's just the business. The business is funded by the live show in in most cases, you know. So it's it's interesting. It's it's the, the business was largely touring. And in order to keep touring, you had to write albums to tour. Mm -hmm. But now it's you have to write albums because people are going to listen to your albums. And streaming is what's going to earn you revenue if you can build it. And you might not be touring for a while. So all of a sudden, the the whole model is sort of flipped on its head. You're not really writing albums so that you can play shows. You're like 
oh, I have to actually create something that like means more beyond that. And I'm not saying people's albums didn't mean more beyond right, that, right. but you know what I'm saying? It, it was like a, like for a, a reason. You, know, you have to think of it. It like was a so you could keep touring and keep making money. It was not so that you could share something with the world. It wasn't just that, you know? Yeah. Like, like now that touring's out, it sort of is that, you know, for us, you, you know, I purposely did a lot of stuff in this record on the production side and mix master side, like for headphones, because I figured people are going to be listening to this in their cars and in their headphones and probably not on a stage until at least next summer. So, well, you, uh, speaking of that, because it's interesting that you brought that up because obviously most music these days, especially on Spotify and all the streaming platforms is mixed and mastered that way. Will you mix and master the physical media or the, the physical media differently than, than, um, for the streaming? Uh, there is like an album. Well, discernibly if you're listening to it no uh technically yes if you're talking about like basically just limiting the threshold like that a limiter is going to make the max peak at Mm -hmm. because you can have it you know set to zero point or negative 0.1 db if you're doing like cd audio if you're true peak limiting this is like really kind of nerdy shit it happens but they want streaming services don't want your song that loud, they'll actually if you if you turn in a super loud master to Spotify, they'll end up turning it down, like to to match everything else because they can't. It's not in Spotify's interests either for everything to sound super different level wise or quality wise. Or right. so there is some sort of like you can turn something in that they might be like, oh, let's bring this down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like it's it. I mean the physical will sound better because you're not listening to something that's being streamed. Mm-hmm. Dude, technology's gotten to the point now where it's like a 320 kilobyte MP3 or a wave file to me in my like thousand dollar headphones. Eh. Yeah. I don't have thousand dollar headphones. That's a lie. That was like a flex. That's not true. I think my most expensive set of headphones is like 200 bucks. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things I as I said, thousand dollar headphones. I was like, oh, thousand dollar headphones. <laughs> Hyperbole. One of those things about like the old days in the scene was uh, that I that kind of makes me cringe a little bit now. Listening back is the mixing and mastering of certain records and such because obviously the technology wasn't there, the abundance of it wasn't there either. You back in the day, you'd have to like go to a studio. Re- oh yeah, regardless of like maybe your friend had one. Like and it was a shitty studio, or you paid a lot of money. That was me. I had the shitty studio, <laughs> or you paid a lot of money to go to a studio that you felt completely out of place in. You know what I mean? So, oh yeah, yeah. It's crazy how things have just <clears throat> become so. You know, the the playing field is just kind of almost level. You know, like like you said. Oh yeah, you're you're doing a lot of the work in house, and yeah, that saves money obviously for the band. Well, and the big the top level people that have their names associated with the plugins. Like if it's, you know, the Howard Benson's or your Chris Lord algaes or that like top level guys use a lot of the same stuff. Like they, they use this technology. I remember I was talking with Howard. Uh, he has a Howard Benson vocals plugin. I use it all the time. I loved the way that he produced uh, my vocals on defy. And he literally sent it to me in advance before it came out. He said, I want you to try this. I'm using it and I'm like, damn, it sounds like our record. And he's like, dude, I love it. I don't have to use like five or six more things to get the sound. I can just use this now. And I was like, 
yeah, that makes sense. Even if it's modeled after all the amazing stuff you have, once it's there and it's available, you don't have to like fight the technology anymore. One of the big things I really love about making music and like us doing our own albums is it's caught up. It's I'm not, I don't have to sit there and like tinker with drums. Like how do I make these drums not sound like shit? Like the samples sound good, which means you can just write a part and you can write guitars and you can get past the, oh, this sounds terrible. I can't see the diamond in the rough. Like you're already starting with the diamond sticking half out, you know, because people have mined that enough for you. Mm -hmm. And they have sampled the best guitar amps in the nicest studios with the nicest preamps. And when everything gets turned into zeros and ones from input to output, if the zeros and ones of the actual recorded amp versus the zeros and ones of the digitally modeled amp, if they're the same, that wave file sounds the same. Yeah. So it's all, it's all kind of moot. Yeah. Um, so um, last little question here. Um, Austin left the band, you know, in 2017 or whatever. You're, you're for the most part, longtime uh, screamer guy, vocalist. Um, how did that affect the group going forward? And like, was it, was it, was it negative? Was it positive? You know, at the time in like, how did that affect writing and such going forward for you guys? Um, you know, for us, like the, at that point, the future was sort of uncertain and, and it was uncertain because we didn't want to decide on anything. You know, if, if you've put X amount of years of your life, blood, sweat and tears and mileage into something, you know, it's, we all just kind of sat back and we're like, we don't have to make any immediate decisions about anything right now. Like it's just, you know, he left the band for his health. Let's just like, <laughs> it, 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 when, when like the time is right to do something, we will kind of, I think, no. So I think a couple weeks went by. We all just like got, we started getting together just to like jam. Cause we we're like, well, we were a band. Like let's, we had a room in out in Anaheim with all of our gear. We're like, let's just get, we, we call it making noise, making noise. There's a difference between rehearsing and practicing and making noise. Making noise is when we don't use the in-ear rig and we turn everything up and just make noise. <laughs> and so we're like, let's just get in the room, make noise. So we started kind of jamming. At one point, we started hooking up some of the in-ear gear and, and playback. We played to a click track live. There's not like a lot of tracks. I think there's like string accompaniment, but it's basically set up to where if it fails, like you're not going to notice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like we are definitely not a track heavy band. Um, a, because like I set it up and I just don't, want to <laughs> so like we play live um but like you know we started jamming and then we're like yo play bones exposed we have it on the click it's set up and i remember i was playing bass and just like i just started doing the vocals started just doing the lead vocals while i was playing i used to scream and sing in my old band and not play an instrument so like I knew technically I can do it. So we just started doing it. We jammed through the song. We all kind of looked at each other like, it's not bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little practice, you yeah, know, like yeah. we, I, th I think we could make this work. And so we just kind of stuck to it. I think for us, more importantly than ourselves, we knew that we were going to still make music together. We didn't know if it would be F Mice or it would be um, a new project. Like we knew that the way forward was music. Cause that's just what we, that's what we've, that's what we've got, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, it, at that point, the band had become bigger than any of us or all of us. Mm -hmm. And it had met 
something to more people than just us to where we felt like if we could do justice to the back catalog. And by that, I mean like, you know, we, we've won, like I, we have, I'm looking at like, they're on my desk cause they just, we have two of them like from the golden God awards or whatever, mm-hmm. the, their best live band. Like we used to like, we, we won awards at one time for like this thing. We felt like if we could do that, if we could live up to, and we set the highest standards for ourselves. Like if we could live up to our standard of live show with these songs that we know still matter to people, like then we're going to do this. And so um, we spent like a couple weeks just jamming and we're like, all right, book it. <laughs> was it book it, book the studio time. We're going to write songs. We're going to, we're, we're going full steam ahead. And then that's when we um, made Defy. Was it um, was it hard for you to transition into doing both clean and unclean vocals in one night? Like, or was that something that you kind of just reached back into your rep- repertoire of being a, a frontman previously that it was just easy for you? I think some of the endurance takes time, but that takes time anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, if if we were going to be doing a tour in you know two months, then I would have to like you know smoke less weed. <laughs> Yeah. You know, start exercising, doing vocal exercises, like getting vocal endurance. It's sort of like anything. It's like it's a, to me, it's sort of like um, when fighters do like fight camp, you know, like six, eight weeks out before a fight, they start fight camp. And that's when they get like in shape. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of that, like even in touring and stuff, because it is like a really athletic sort of thing. Um, I forgot the fucking question. I was just thinking I was just asking if it's if it was hard to kind of switch up from doing just clean vocals to both. That was the question. Um, yeah, it was, it was mostly just the endurance side of it. Um, and then it was learning sort of how to be a front man, how to like sort of guide the audience through the show because it's, it is supposed to be a show. It's not as, it's not just, Hey, watch me do this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? Like you're also playing bass. The entire time, too, correct? Uh, at the time, yeah. Now I just, now I, after I had like back, well, it's not back surgery. It was surgery on skin on my back. <laughs> but uh, after, like that happened in 2019. We had to cancel some dates on a bear tooth tour. I had like pre melanoma, I guess, mm-hmm. come back in a biopsy. So I had to like leave. Um, we had to go back home basically from tour and I had to get like an excision surgery where they cut like a bunch of flesh out. But then we went back out on tour and I wasn't playing bass anymore. I was just like fronting. And then our fans were like, yeah, we like that. And I was like, well, I like playing bass, <laughs> but I'm here for you in that capacity. I yeah. still play bass on the records, but like Not live. the live show is for you. It's for me too, but it's for you. And if you prefer that, and the vast majority of people were very vocal about that, uh, so we've just like stuck with it. So I haven't played bass live since uh, 2019. So for a handful of your shows, for like middle of 2019. But then again, I didn't play a show last year. So yeah, that's what I was saying. Like a handful of your shows and whatnot. But going forward, <laughs> obviously, uh, you will have a touring basis. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's our homie uh, Rod Sudani from the band Volumes. Oh, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like our brother. I love that guy. I was texting him this morning. Well, uh, let's wrap it up with, um, you know, what else is on the docket outside of the third EP and final, you know, full project release? Uh, do you have, do you have a date for the album release at least? 
There is no date yet. Uh, we're currently like finalizing album artwork. It looks awesome. We've been working with Derek Hess, who like nice. Y- like you know, he I think didn't he do Evergreen Terrace cover back in the day? Yeah, he did a bunch of stuff. I, yeah, I want to say yeah. like, um, fuck, dude. Yeah, a lot of albums. Because uh, when you said that name, I was like. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, for us too. I know he did. Uh, I think he did Poison the Well too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Converge posters yeah. and shit back in the day. Um, yeah, no, he's he's phenomenal. Um, that's been great too to like sort of bridge those connections. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was the, I was a little new metal kid, and you know, and then I changed my bondage pants for some camo shorts and a black bandana and went to shows. We've and, lived the same life, AP. We've lived the same life. You know, life. and then, yeah. And then what did I have? What did I do after that? I had like a, like a little indie phase, I think. Like That's happens. Death that cab, happens. Yeah, kind of. That happens, man. I've done the same yeah, thing. Yeah, because I was like early 20s. I was like, I like coffee now. I'm a grown man. Kept hearing the about keep hearing the, like, about iron and wine things. on tour. You, who's this iron and wine guy? And then you and then you and then you get and then you get into your late twenties where you're like everything I liked when I was thirteen before I was told that it was all whack is actually all the cool shit, and that's what I'm going to be into now. Yep. So it's like things like video gaming, like new metal, <laughs> it's um, all coming back, like man. aliens, Bigfoot, like dude. All that, like, at, at any point where it's like, dude, that's not, that's not cool. It's like, that's all the cool shit. You get old enough to where you're like, I can buy, I can afford all this stuff yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's Legos. I don't have any, but like, I've thought about it. I've honestly thought about it. That's, no, I would say, stop. in Target, and I'm like, I would say don't because it's just going to be like a snowball effect and then you're going to have like hundreds of pounds of Legos. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do you do? Do you buy like just the Lego, like, do you buy the sets or do you just buy like the box with all the different Legos in it? You know what I mean? No, you gotta buy the sets. If you just buy the, 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 the blocks, you then you're making something like 30 feet tall. If it's going to look like anything. And people do that. I mean, get on. I know it's crazy. Dude, at at Disneyland. Oh, Lego downtown Disney. They got like the giant dragon. It's like, Okay, I get it. Takes a lot. That's time. what you. That's what you can make out of those blocks, or you can make tiny little cubes. Yeah, <laughs> can't or, make much else on a smaller scale, you know. Or you could do some Star Wars or Harry Potter backdrops. <sighs> those are so sick too. Yeah. Well, Yo, do you remember Mighty Max back in the day? Those little things that you could for sure never sell them in 2020 because kids would probably choke on them. They were like, are they the ones that you could hang upside down? They had like. Uh... No, they were like Mighty Max was this thing. It was maybe like, like this big around, and it looked like a skull. Oh and yeah, you would, yeah, and you yeah. Would, and you would open it up, and it had the tiny little Mighty Max. It was like, the ma- it was the male version of, of the Polly Pocket. Yeah, Polly Pocket. Yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> kids would choke on that shit so oh bad, my God, right now. <laughs> dude. And then, and then creepy crawlers. Uh huh. Where they're like, here's a here's an oven, and like a bunch of like. Goo. Synthetic, yeah. yeah, sort of synthetic, quick setting. It's funny you brought substance, and it's like you just gave that to kids it's on the box. It says seven and up. Dude, yeah. I watched my cousin just go and squirt it in his mouth once. I watched it. It's non toxic. It's all good, or hopefully it was. But you know, it's funny you bring that up because my sister, who is younger than I am, uh, my younger sister recently was like, "Yeah, I used to sneak in your room and just make your creepy crawlies." Damn, that's so <laughs> sick. <laughs> That's also so hosed if you're like, dude, I'm out of juice, and yeah, then they right? just stop making it. Where's my black? Where's my black goo? You know, or whatever. Oh, yeah, dude, you got to do half black, half red tarantulas. Yeah, oh. Of course. That was cool shit, man. We had cool toys back in the day, you know? Hell yeah, dude. 
All right. AP, it was great having you on the show. Is there any last little comment that you either want to say or shout out, uh, you know, bands or whatnot, younger bands that you're working with or that you know about or anything like that? Man, shout out to anybody listening to this. Anybody that's made it this far in, shout out to you. Thank you for caring about music and the people that make it and the people um, like David that helped bring it to you and and make it more accessible. Um, Thank you for your time. Uh, anybody who wants to know more about us, just follow us on the socials. Um, Google of mice and men. If you start getting a bunch of Steinbeck book results, then just type band after it and you'll find us. <laughs> we're, we're on there. We're on the net. Um, they, they most definitely are. Yeah. Twitch.tv slash of mice. Um, and how often do you guys, we're there, we're, we're there like four days a week, okay, four cool. days a week for like three, four hours. And do you post the schedule on your socials or do you? Yeah. So, so we actually have this, we actually have the schedule on twitch.tv slash of mice. It's, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, 11 a.m. Pacific. Nice. Well, and we just get together, we jam, we write music, we hang out with fans. Yesterday we did like a, a house remix of Bloom. Nice. Started off atrocious and actually by the end of it was like eh, pretty good disco track. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, I like house uh, music. I'll check it out. Most of the time, most of the time we just work on new original music um, for stuff that will almost certainly end up on an album. Um, what's funny is Obsolete is our... It's our second most played track on um, Octane on satellite radio. Mm -hmm. And we did that entire song on Twitch, except for me tracking vocals, just because like no one wants to hear that. I'm sure somebody somewhere. Here's the thing. Someone does, but it's it's vocalist Twitch is awesome when you're performing for people. Recording is not performing for people. Recording is doing the same line like 10 times and then listening back to them being like, I can't say this word right. <laughs> like, I, what's the difference between this take and this take? I don't know, but I got to pick one. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot <laughs> it's, of frustration it's, it's, and stuff. Repetitive, repetitive stuff. I'm sure yeah. somebody would watch it, but I don't know. We haven't we haven't got that far yet. But you know, it's I don't know. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. So well, it's it's fun to see the uh, da- the the genre adapting to new ways to brand themselves to reach their fans and such like that and. It's always cool to um, to talk about that. And actually, now that I'm thinking about that, I also have one last question because I was thinking about uh, live streams and then Code Orange popped into my head. So I have to kind of ask, ask me about it. I have to ask about the beef. Is the beef still ongoing? I hope not. Okay. No, it, it, it happened from my understanding. And when Alan told me about it, he was like, I wasn't talking shit to them. I was trying to big up Norma Jean because I remember really wanting them to win back in the day. And I was like, well, now, Alan, you stepped in it because half your band really likes this band's music and like we've hung out and now there's beef. They told him to eat shit. And I I think I liked it. I think I, I think I favorited that tweet back before it was liking tweets and you favorited things. I was like, this is one of my favorite tweets. Yeah. No, nah, but there's no there's no beef. I don't have I don't have beef with anybody, man. There's life is too short and there's just there's so many other things in the world that want your energy. There's so many other things in the world that are like, "Hey, care about me." Mhm. I don't know, man. No, nah, I mean it's good that you were we'll, we'll end on this positive note that there is no there's no beef between, you know, of mice and men and code orange as if you were to look on the internet, there you may find that, but it's good to know that half the band is a fan of the band. I'm sure 
more than half of the fan is more than half of the band is a fan of that band now too, especially because <laughs> yeah, uh, the album so Forever I think was like both on me and Tino's like most played Spotify. Well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Then Alan had to go start beef. <laughs> Hey, it makes life interesting a little bit. You know what I mean? It's content. No. We'll just say it's shout content. out to them. Shout out to anybody doing doing their thing and progressing genres and making music for their fans. I got nothing but uh Yeah. It's all gateways, man. It's all gateways. You know, someone's gonna find Code Orange and then find some like a Loathe or some more underground band. You Dude. Know, same yeah. thing with five finger death punch disturbed type bands. You know, that's just the the little crust you itch under the crust and you get deeper and deeper and you find more and more and more, man. Yeah. Music's sick. It is. Happy to happy to be a little part of it. Ripple somewhere in there. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Well, AP, thanks again. And thanks Wait, for- I have a question for you now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit me. We toured with Limp Biscuit. They have the most rabid fans of any band we have ever toured with. Okay. When I'm talking about the pit, Limp Biscuit has the gnarliest pits, just the gnarliest crowds. We toured with like we toured with Slipknot. Mm-hmm, Limp mm-hmm. Biscuit pits were scary. It was just people like hurting each other. Like it was psycho. We toured with them out in uh, out in Australia. Um, and then we we played we played some shows with them. Uh, I want to say we played a show stateside. That might not be true, but yeah, we we toured with them. We we've done a bunch of shows with them. Um, Every single time it's they play and it's, it's pandemonium. Like it kicks in and people just want to like it's rage. Yeah. They have, they have that song break stuff. I mean, that's what you know. Oh, you think about it. Yeah. It's just all that's, that's every, that's, that's the pit. There's a, uh, I don't know, but you said, you said that's your hometown band. Is it, is it something in the water out there? Are there more bands like that that could incite that sort of <laughs> fury that we just don't know about? I wish there were more bands like Limp Bizkit out there that were from here, but there's not, I mean, the, Again, I'm I'm sure you've heard of, place. I'm sure you've heard of Florida, man. Florida is a crazy place. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So it is a little different than the most here. hosed superhero. Yeah. I mean, uh no, I think Biscuit is a, it's its own enigma, man. I think it's just one of those things where like again, they you know, it's crazy cuz they're from here and they're just like a local band for the for a little bit, but they became like this huge thing and you know, like obviously the Woodstock situation, which isn't really their fault, but they get pan, they get painted as the people that incited the riot at Woodstock. So, you know, when people hear about that, obviously when they see them live, they want to replicate something like that. You know what I mean? They want to live that crazy mosh pit stuff. But um, yeah, honestly, Fred is some Fred and Wes are two people that I really want to get on the podcast, but they live out by you and and not by me anymore. So, you know, if you want to drop a line or whatever, if you've got like any kind of, you know, pull or connection, you know, I'll take that. But no, it's a good, it, it's good. See what I can do. And it's cool that, you know, like you said earlier, we can start liking stuff we used to back in the day because I always had to secretly like them being a fan, like being in the scene. I couldn't yeah. be like, oh yeah, fucking Limp Biscuit. I still listen to them all the time. I didn't, I could never say that, but now I just constantly yeah. say it. <laughs> and Limp Biscuit goes harder than your favorite hardcore band anyway. This is true. Yeah, like there's no shame in it. It, it just goes so in. I dude, they they get a bad rap, but like you can't. Anyone that listens to this has never listened to Limp Bizkit. And if you got this far, I su- I strongly suggest you putting on three dollar bill and not liking it. There's no it's, way. This dude, I don't know. I, I like still it. listen I like to that I like, shit. I, I'm 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 unashamed. Yeah. Well, AP, I'm gonna go listen to some more Limp Bizkit right now. 
and you go, right. do, you go do what you're doing. Have a second cup of coffee. All right. And we'll uh, hopefully, hopefully nice next city. time. Yeah. Hopefully next time we touch base together, we'll, it'll be an in-person podcast. Like we normally have done yeah. prior to the pre pandemic. So have a good one, brother. Hey, you take it easy. All right. Thanks, man. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.